There are some Christians here today, and you've been on the Christian pathway for a while, but somehow sin has bitten you again. What a problem it has been, what sorrow it has brought, what uh, victory the devil has gotten in your life. What have you to do? Look again. Indeed, the reason why I had us to look at Hebrews 12, 2 today is that the very life of the Christian is a continual, perpetual looking unto Jesus. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher, and we're on the air to bring you the message of the gospel again today. We have a full program here. We're looking firstly at the at the cross and just as I am. These are the hymns we're singing today. And then we're looking again at looking unto Jesus, part two of the serpents biting the Israelites. The cure was to look unto a brass serpent. And in John's gospel, chapter three, the Lord Jesus expounded that as looking unto him by faith. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now we're turning to Psalm 13 today, and I want to read to you these short, uh, the, this short psalm, just six verses. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now, the verse I want us to look at here is the verse 3, which says, Consider and hear me, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lighten mine eyes. So much of our health can be interpreted from the appearance of the eye. You may have gone to the doctor's clinic, and one of the first things he does is to look right in, close up to your eye with the light. Heavy, dull, tired, dark eyes betray that inside there is suffering and pain. When recovery comes as a new morning, there is light in the eyes. Hence David's prayer, lighten mine eyes. Shine the light of thy hope into my soul. Note that David was nigh giving up hope when he said, Lest I sleep the sleep of death. He spoke in terms that there may be no recovery. The things, the how longs in verse 1 and verse 2, no doubt speak of the desperation of his soul. Yet David did recover suddenly and dramatically. And you can compare the darkness of verse 1 with the joy that he found in verse 6. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And in many of the Psalms, it starts off dolefully dull in trouble and trial, and then at the end with joy and jubilation. 
And you know, that's the victory that the Christian often experiences when we learn to lean on the Lord. Verse 3 is a prayer with firm faith in David's covenant God. He refers to the Lord or Jehovah my God. In the darkness, God is still the same. His relationship to us is just the same. Even when God hides his face, he's still there. And it is the operation of faith to go and call upon God, even my God, when the cloud of difficulty comes to hide his face. When a sick or dying child has brought us to great grief, when you stand upon the grave of your dearest on earth, Job had to do this many times over. Sarah Edwards, the wife of Jonathan Edwards, visited the grave of her son-in-law, her husband, and her daughter. At the passing of her husband and Jonathan, she wrote to her daughter Esther in these words, My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands upon our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives, and he has my heart. Sarah Edwards, in that book, Marriage to a Difficult Man by Dodds, page 200. Only faith can enable you to call God your God. Prayer also comes with a firm eye to the glory of God. And in verse 4, it says, Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Not wanting to give the enemy room to boast against God, David prayed for his enemy to be silenced. What hurts most is to witness the scoffs of the enemy at our failures, which are interpreted as God's failures. Moses, when God would destroy Israel, pleaded that he would spare Israel lest the enemy would think that God had not power to deliver them in the wilderness. Here is our cue to pray for God's glory in our church, in our ministry, in our daily walk. Lest the thing that the man of God fears, failure to honor the Lord. And how we need to guard against that. And pray, Lord, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lighten me, lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. So let us now just bow in prayer and seek the Lord to give us grace to trust him, even in the trials of life. Father, we come in Jesus' name to the throne of grace, and we thank thee that there's help to be found in seeking the face of God. We thank thee, Father, that your ear is open to the cry of the righteous, that you invite us to come and to call upon thy name. You have said, Call upon me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things that you know not of. And, O oh Lord, we need mighty things in these days. We need con con converts, conversions. We need to see the church filled with sinners crying out, What must I do to be saved? Lord, we need to see this land brought into revival and blessed by the power of God, the Holy Ghost at work. O oh Lord, come and lighten our load. Come and lighten our eyes, lest we become sleepy. And come, Lord, and give us energy and fire in our souls, that we may glorify thee in our daily walk.
comfort your people today. Let this program, let the singing of these hymns and the message on looking to Jesus draw some poor soul to a personal saving faith in our Lord Jesus. Amen. Mr. Spurgeon, uh, preaching on this many, many years ago, he gave the account of a zookeeper in London Zoo who was bitten by a snake. And this happened in October 1852. And he said that this unhappy man was saying farewell to someone that was going off to Australia. And of course, in those days, anyone who went to Australia, it was highly unlikely they'd, never, they'd ever be back. And so they went drinking together. And of course, uh, bodies and friends may do this and think this is the way to say farewell. So they went off to the pub and uh, the zookeeper got absolutely stociously drunk. And uh, then he went back to the zoological gardens in London, back to his work. And uh, in his rage under the influence of alcohol, uh, what came to his mind that he remembered that there uh, was an exhibition of snake charming. And so he thought he would go into the snake pit and cages and take out the snakes and do the same thing in his absolute folly. And so he, first of all, uh, took out a particular snake and he uh, fondled it, handled it, and fortunately it did not rise to bite him and someone else has put that snake back. And so he put it back into the cage, but he wasn't done yet. And he grabbed a cobra. Now, this cobra due to living in London in the fog and dump uh, was not very alert because it needs heat to get it uh, inspired and active. And what did this man do? He laid the cobra on his breast, on his chest, and the heat of his body began to warm up this reptile. And then he took it by the tail and he was going to swing it around his head as he had seen these snake, Egyptian snake charmers do. 
And uh, while he was doing that, the snake just came right up, looked at him in the eyes, and bit him right on the forehead. Dug his fangs right into his face. And this man knew, even though he was drunk, he says, I'm a dead man. And the other zookeeper that was there, he ran. He didn't even stop to come to his help. He just ran. Well, eventually they got this man into some form of transport, took him off to hospital. And the account of the impact of that venom that had uh, gotten into his blood is absolutely staggering. First of all, his speech went, and he could only point to his poor throat and moan. And then his vision failed him. He wasn't able to see. And lastly, his hearing, all his senses, one by one, just disappeared. His pulse gradually sank, and in one hour from the time that he was struck by that snake, he was a corpse. He was gone. Now, wouldn't it have been good news if someone could have said to him, look, if you look on this brass object, that you can live. But if you don't look, you're gone. You're dead. You see, the purpose of the cross and your need to be a Christian, to be saved from sin, is because of what sin is doing to you. Sin, what's it going to do to you? Well, it blinds you. It dulls your hearing. It takes away your senses. And the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were no longer sensitive to the voice of God. The voice of God was fearful to them. And all their spiritual faculties were ruined. And in an instant, they were cast out. And you may have learned that little catechism. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They were subject to sorrow toil, and death. Let me ask you how many tears you've shed. This is a world of tears. And I know you don't be very old in this world until you taste the salty tears of sorrow in your life. That's all because of what sin has done. Toil, the hours that you labor and sweat, it's all because of sin. We're living in a world where man is just playing a game of building a castle which will all be swept away in its toil and labor, and how hard it is just to survive in this world. That's what sin has done until death comes. And it's because you're a dying soul that you need the Lord Jesus in your heart and soul. You need to be saved. And this is the good news today. This is the glad news. God has not left mankind to perish in their sin. He has sent a Savior. And all who look to Him, all who believe, all who call upon His name are healed and saved for all eternity. This is the very meaning of the word gospel. Good news, good news for sinners that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, you must know what sin has done to you. You have a conscience. You know what guilt is. You know what it is to blush when someone faces you with your wrongdoing and your shame. Well, there's going to be a judgment day 
when that will be magnified, when the video of your life is replayed for all to see, and the audio will be turned up for all to hear, that's when you need a Savior. Now, for those who were never bitten, there's no good news in this, is there? Uh, one, of, one of the difficult things I have when I go knocking doors and invite people to come and hear the gospel, uh, people say to me, it's okay, I'm, I'm good. How do you respond to that? My, my immediate reaction is, oh, but you're not good. And I know in, in Canadians say, I'm good. They mean I'm all right. Uh, I'm, I'm not in any fear or concern about my soul. I don't need this. Why? Because they've never sensed that they've been bitten. And if they've never been sensed that they've been bitten, they'll never feel their need to look. And Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he said to the Pharisees that the harlots enter into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they know they're sinners. They know they're guilty. They know that they will die and perish if they are not saved. And so until you feel the bite of sin, you'll never understand the purpose of the cross. You'll never understand what this is to, to put faith in the blood of Jesus or in the, the bread that represents the body that was bruised and mangled on the cross for your salvation. This is the purpose. I want to bring you to the persuasion of this good news because uh, the, the, the word came to Moses that everyone that was bitten, they were to what? They were to look. Uh, and it says it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent, he lived. So they had to look. They had to get their eyes on that pole and all oh, what powers of persuasion would be needed. Now, it was not enough for others to be concerned about him. And you might say to me, Pastor, will you pray, pray for me? Would you take an interest in my soul? I can't save you. You've got to do the looking. It's not enough for others to pray for you. It's not enough to know that your name is mentioned in the prayer meeting of the church. That won't save you. You have to do the looking. It's not enough for others to tell them about what the cure is doing for many others. And you could hear testimony after testimony of people that are converted and saved, delivered from sin, happy in Christ, but that won't save you unless you yourself look. And it's not enough that the pole should even be near them. And you may have been in gospel meetings where the Lord Jesus was near, where he drew into the company and his power was present, but you never personally looked to him or trusted in him, therefore you're not saved. What would parents do? You think of a little boy along the way when he's walking in this uh, trail or path in the desert, and this snake comes out of the brush and bites him on the ankle, and immediately the ravage of poison is raging through that young body. What's a mother going to do? Well, if she understands the message of the brazen pole, what will she do? Son, come, look at this pole. And she'll take his very head and turn and have him to look. And the power of persuasion will be, son, you must look or you'll die. Open your eyes. Don't worry about the fever now. Look to the pole. 
And that's what the gospel preacher must do. That's what parents do. We love our children. We want to see them saved. And while you've got your eyes on the world and the eyes on yourself and your eyes on other things, you'll never be a Christian. You'll never be saved. And so our burden, our desire is to turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's the great need. What about those who only caught a glimpse of the pole? They can be saved. You notice it doesn't say that they had to look with both eyes. That you have to open both eyes and look at the pole and that way you will live. They just had a look. It doesn't say one eye, two eyes. It doesn't say how long was the look. They doesn't quantify or qualify. They just said, look and live. You see, faith, ever so small, if it's real, by ceasing trusting in yourself, looking to the Lord Jesus will save you. You will be saved. Are you persuaded today that Christ is the answer to your sin and your heart? Then look. And by looking away from yourself to God's revealed Son and Savior, you'll be saved. That's the answer. Are you persuaded on that? It's my job to persuade you. Paul said, we beseech you, brethren. And I must beseech you. I must call you. Anything else but looking to Jesus will not save you. This is the great need. I close today by looking at the perpetuation of this good news of looking to this pole. You see, they were walking through the desert for many years, and I don't think this was a one-off event. I don't think this was just a temporary thing. I think that there was danger of snakes along the way. What if a person was bitten twice? What if a person was bitten, they looked to the pole, and they were delivered from the power of the poison of the snake, but they went along a little further and bitten again? What do you do? Well, if that was the answer the first time, what's the answer the second time? Look to the brazen pole. There are some Christians here today, and you've been on the Christian pathway for a while, but somehow sin has bitten you again. What a problem it has been, what sorrow it has brought, what uh, victory the devil has gotten in your life. What have you to do? Look again. Indeed, the reason why I had us to look at Hebrews 12 too today is that the very life of the Christian is a continual, perpetual looking onto Jesus. And in this world, it is a continuous plague of sin and iniquity, a place where we're contaminated and tempted by sin all around us. The power of victory for the Christian is to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's the confidence. That's the peace that comes to the Christian's heart and to the Christian's mind. Now, this communion table today is really a help and a means for us to perpetually keep our eyes looking onto the Lord. That's why on a regular basis we do this as a church. We call believers to continue looking onto Jesus. The Lord says, remember me. And remember what? Remember his death. Remember his suffering. Remember his blood. Remember the hope that you have. Remember this answer for sin. Don't look for something new. Don't look for something different. Keep 
looking to me. Remember me till I come. And that's the focus, that's the uh, perpetual way that a Christian lives. And it's that way that we get victory over sin. If you feel defeated today, if you feel discouraged, feel cast down, you feel the devil's got the upper hand in your life, what are you to do? Look to the pole. Look unto Jesus and live. Hallelujah. Live. Live. And we know the life that Jesus gives is eternal life. Eternal life. And that's the life you need. This world's a very short little passage. We're only pilgrims, and the journey will come to an end soon enough. I read the obituary page yesterday of the newspaper. I don't often do that. I don't want to live a morbid life always focusing on on death. I just happened to flick over the page and look at some of the categories, the age groups. Death comes to all. The old must die and the young may die. Sin has done its work. And you have a dying body, but your soul is going to live for all eternity. Where? In eternity. May the Lord speak. I'm all done. I trust the Lord will continue to speak to your heart. Thank you for joining. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music